Welcome to Wonder Tour with Derek Cobb and Drew Perot, where we are learning leadership lessons from your favorite stories. Hi, I'm Derek. And I'm Drew. And we are on a journey to become better leaders by touring fantastic worlds and inspiring lore by going on a Wonder Tour. We connect leadership concepts to story context because it sticks to our brains better. You can find out more at wondertourpodcast.com. Welcome back to part two of our journey through Obi-Wan Kenobi season one. This time, we're going to continue to talk about how compassion causes significant internal conflict. We're going to connect together the character arc of Obi-Wan as he goes through his upbringing, through the prequels, becoming the Obi-Wan that we you know, know and love in episode three, where he's this conflicted hero having to make difficult choices on through what we haven't seen the end of yet in Obi-Wan Kenobi, the TV series, and then into becoming the Ben Kenobi that we find in a new hope. As we go through this, we really want to focus on empathizing with Obi-Wan. He's been through so much pain, and really haven't we all been through this pain that's causing us conflict internally? You know, how do we interact well with the people around us? How do we be magnanimous leaders for the good of others? As we empathize with Obi-Wan, we'll work to discover what it feels like to be that conflicted leader, and what are some of the tactics that we can use to navigate that conflict? All right, we are back, episode 57 today, talking about Obi-Wan again. Can you just feel the sand beneath your feet? <laughs> Listen to the rushing winds. Look up, there's two suns, so you better put on some sunblock. <laughs> yeah, what do you got? SPF maybe 200 on Tatooine? I mean, maybe that's why everybody walks around the robes all the time, right? Yeah, to your point, nobody's ever sunburned on Tatooine, which seems a little bit unrealistic. Oh, it's totally real unrealistic, and that's probably why I would be wearing a Mandalorian helmet as well. I mean, that's really the ultimate in sunblock. You've got that tiny little visor in the front, and I can't tell if there's actually cameras, but I believe it's just more like a pair of sunglasses, <laughs> really narrow pair of sunglasses. Again, not sure how you can keep your spatial awareness wearing such a thing, but we'll just kind of let that one go. It can be They're definitely rough. polarizing lenses there. Yeah. Oh, you got totally. to. Otherwise, otherwise, how's he going to how's he going to handle a fight with bright light? Oh, that's a double entendre polarizing lenses. I mean, if you look at that helmet, you're just like, <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the fun we have with Star Wars, right? It's the everyday that nobody talks about in the Star Wars world. So but let's get let's get gritty again. I think that's what you love about sand. it, too, though, Derek. I think oh. if there's one thing you love about yes. Star Wars, it's that it's it goes down all these weird silly rabbit holes that don't really make sense sometimes <laughs> like like we talked about last time carving the meat from this giant sand dragon thing and it's, yeah. that's like that's like a whole line of work <laughs> yeah you get to the cafe or you get to work that day you look at the cafe menu and it's barbecued worm every <laughs> day this week are you kidding me barbecued worm again <laughs> I don't Why even know it? if the people are, are people eating it because we don't see Obi-Wan eating it or like the other workers taking that that meat home. So it's almost like are they making like like dog feet out of that or like is it if, <laughs> they very like much pantas or whatever? I mean, there is a whole thing with scarcity. And I know that's a desert planet, but there has got to be something lush somewhere. Right. We just we don't get to see that. We get to see this total scarcity thing. You got the cliffs and I'm telling you underneath the cliffs, there's got to be some water or something. But not, not on Tatooine, though. That's a, yeah. <laughs> 
yeah. I mean, we do get it. You're right. You're right. We get Hoth and we get Tatooine. We get we extremes. Get, yeah. yeah, we we do. And we only get Kashyyyk for a very brief moment oh, in yeah. the prequel trilogy, right? And Kashyyyk is this lush world with all this water and trees. And actually, Derek, we do get the contrast. It's Pandora. We do get the <laughs> contrast because we get Alderaan. We get Alderaan here. Get Alderaan, Alderaan is just this awesome. I mean, that was, to be honest, we get, we got to take a slight stop here. How cool was it when you finally, for the first time, get to visit Alderaan? That was that was cool. It's just, you're right. You never really get much more than a, a glimpse or one little picture of it. Why is it that everybody is blowing up all the good planets with Starkiller Base and the Death Star? I don't understand that. You know, that that really bugs me. Why don't, why don't you get rid of Hoth? There's nothing good going on in Hoth. <laughs> you got to save the Wampas. Yeah. <laughs> they don't want to it's destroy terrible. the Wampas. Yeah. They're using the Wampas for labor or whatever. Actually, I don't think the Wampas are. That, that, he's just sitting in that cave eating stuff. <laughs> he's a drain on society, man. <laughs> Trying to eat Jedis. That's terrible. Anyway, we get back to something that's a little more purposeful here in the Star Wars universe, which is that Obi-Wan is very conflicted in this second episode, right? Dayu's where he goes. It's another one of those worlds you escape everything from, right? right. And... It's like nowhere in Guardians of Ooh, the Galaxy. There you go. Yes, another another parallel. He's there to find Leia, right? I mean, he gets he doesn't go right away. Obviously, Bail Organa goes and gives him a guilt trip. And oh, that's the one. that's a big conflict, right? That's a that's a huge part <laughs> of the conflict. It's Obi Wan has such a vision, right, for so long, and then his vision, as far as we know, it narrows as we talked about in part one to just protecting Luke and Leia. He's not so much concerned with overturning the Emperor personally. It doesn't seem like he's kind of given up on the force a little bit. And then I love how we get Bale coming in and he gives him that Saito in Inception moment, right? Where he's like, don't you want to take a leap of faith or become an old man filled with regret waiting to die alone? I I keep coming back to that line in Inception because it, it truly is like a line that every human needs to hear once in a while. Waiting to die alone next to a guy who's in a black suit with a giant lightsaber. Oh, sorry. I, uh, I had to adapt it there. But you're right. There's this there's this whole thing, right? Really, that you don't know what Leia is going to do. So you better get on this. And I think that is the direct. He's not going to take action from the hologram. I'm sorry. The hologram didn't do it for him, right? He's like, I'm sorry that reception's getting a little uh, staticky here. Uh but <laughs> got some trans space uh, interference. Sorry, I, I got to hang up. I, I'll call me back later. Bye. <laughs> and he goes back to watching streaming or whatever he's got going on in that cave, which I guess he's not watching any streaming. But what does he do for entertainment? Who knows? But it takes an in-person appearance of Bail Organa to snap him out of it and say, look, dude, I'm more than a hologram. I'm willing to come here to you, even out you in some way. If you don't get on this, go save my daughter. And I think it's interesting here, too. We don't really talk about it. We didn't really talk about it too much in the pre-show, but that Bail Organa really has taken ownership and really is playing the father role 100% with Leia. He is not like, you're my adopted child, blah, 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 blah. No, he just like, he is pure 100% in it as the dad, as the father. And I think that's really cool as far as it's his It's awesome to goes. see. It's, it's yeah. really beautiful to see how Leia has this. Because, you know, we get to see Bail in the prequel trilogy, but 
when you get to see him here, you're like, wow, she really has this stand up guy, magnanimous leader as a father. And so now not that Leia isn't, you know, great in her own right. She is right. She's a hero. But she has to get to see her upbringing and that she has Bale. It just now contrasts that with Owen that Luke has. And I, again, Owen has Bale has an abundance mindset, right? Bale is, is fighting from the inside of the Senate against the Empire. He's staging a rebellion in terms of thought and mind that mindsets. Uh, Owen is completely taking the scarcity mindset, right? So you see how the two kind of Luke and Leia develop a little bit differently here. It's I don't know. I, I again, I, I'm Star Wars nerding out a little bit on getting to see some of these stories that you kind of tell yourself when you're laying in bed thinking about Star Wars, but you never get to see explicitly. I think that's great. I, I appreciate you bringing in that that influence angle. I never thought about that with Luke, about how Owen's like small mindset really influenced Luke. And Luke's like, I can't I can't I can't raise the X wing, you know. <laughs> When he's in Empire Strikes Back and he's just like, it's too hard. The, the object's too big, right? And and that's totally something Owen would say. You, you've got to get more droids, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just got to get more droids. We got to go to the Jawas and get more droids. That's how we get this problem solved. He's always trying to solve problems with droids. I don't know if you notice that or not. But that's like a big part of Owen's strategy is... <laughs> Is offload you know, the work on somebody else, you know. Get young kid, right? Get more droids. And I will go play poker out at the power converters or something with my buddies. I'm not sure what Uncle Owen's doing during the day. Anyway, we're, we're probably getting off the rails with him. But it is fun to talk about Uncle Owen and some of his motivations and, and the, really the influences. So I like that because Obi-Wan has two voices, right? One is stay small, be nothing. You you really got to just, I mean, Owen wants him to totally divest. If he could become Uncle Ben, right, and, and never, never talk about the Jedi ever again, he probably could have done that with Luke and just been like, oh, this, my, my cell phone's ringing. I'll just, you know what, I'll bury that too. Because <laughs> I know it's Bail Organa calling again. Call from Bail Organa. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Not again. I don't want to live that life. Just forget it. Right. He can't he can't shut it off. He can't shut it off. He can't. You can't deny what you are. And I think that is truly what I want to get to the heart of today. As leaders, I think we go through times, maybe when we're younger, we don't understand what it is inside of us that's calling us to be a leader. But we feel sick to our stomach when someone else is leading and we're having the cringe that I know I have this cringe. I'm sorry. I'll just put it out there. But when someone is like brute forcing through a situation, not having empathy, ignoring everybody in the room and really just bulldozing, right? I recoil to that as a leader because I know that a leader has to be empathetic and needs to be constantly balancing everything that's going on in the room. There are gifts you're wasting. There are talents that you're wasting, right? And I think that's what Obi-Wan's doing here is once he finally wakes up again, back to his purpose, back to what he's supposed to be doing, he realizes that he's got to take care of Leia and Luke. And it is going to rip, tear him asunder, of course, because that's just the mindset of a leader. I think there's something going on here, though, right? Yeah. It's his past. His past yeah. is really we, when we talk about how compassion is about the future, not the past. The Obi-Wan is going through this progressive process of being broken free from his past here. And he, he never you never I don't want to say never, but it's hard to ever truly escape your past because it exists. Well, it doesn't exist, exists, but it exists in your brain, right? 
So <laughs> not currently. And it exists in other people's brains. <laughs> exactly. So he has that. He has that this these challenges that he's been through. Right. Yeah. He overcomes Maul, but at the cost of Qui-Gon. And then he he fights to be able to train Anakin. And he has some good days with Anakin. But in the end, he has this nightmare that he can never escape, it seems like, uh, where he keeps going back to Mustafar and where he, you know, we see it at the beginning of episode one in that awesome kind of recap that they put together of clips. He has this moment with Anakin where he, you know, you were supposed to be the chosen one. And then he lets him to die there. And it, it's causing him so much pain internally that he doesn't. It almost seems like he doesn't know if he should be the hero anymore. He feels like maybe he shouldn't be the hero and he's just waiting for another hero. He's going to wait it out. Yep. And he finds out very quickly that that's not going to work. I think at that point, he's t- he slips into at least I'm going to fight. It may not be the Obi-Wan that we want to see, which is lightsaber flying around and all this stuff, right? The light show. We all wanted the light show, but he uses his blaster, right? And every time he uses his blaster, I'll admit it, I was let down. I was like, here we go. Nope, it didn't happen. Oh, here we go. Nope, it didn't happen. And you find that fight in yourself. You're just like, I'm ready to go. But you realize that the fight is deeper inside of him, that he's got to think about the law game and he cannot out himself and it's so hard it grates on me as I watch it. Doesn't it just drive you crazy? It does. And it's it's almost like in the Batman when we talk about picking up rubble, right? He's having to pick up rubble. It's like you just want to see the Batman using his batarang and his grappling hook and his cape to glide and stuff like that. You want to see him using the Batmobile. And yet he's just out there with his gloves on, just picking up rubble. It's he's not using his arcane skills, right? He's just but he's doing it strategically. And this is where I think we want to get to in all of us is we I would hazard a guess that we all have some lingering pain. It's kind of a <laughs> a trait of humans once you've been around for any number of years is you have this lingering pain that you carry. And as a result of it, there can be a temptation to either just go out in some passionate explosion or to just suppress it entirely and just suppress the pain, suppress the purpose. You know, if if I can suppress the highs and the lows, then at least I can exist at the at the medium. And that's kind of where we find Obi-Wan at the beginning. I think what you I think wisdom inevitably, though, drives you to the understanding that a quote unquote passionate explosion of your emotions of knowing all the truth of the situation, you know that that will not make a difference. If he goes out with a blazing lightsaber battle, that blip on the map is just it just goes out. Right. He's got to bide his time and. Leaders do know when to conserve energy, to bide time, and to lean into the long game versus the short-term benefits. And it is hard, though, because we're so much about, I think, immediate gratification of the actions that we take. And we very rarely want to move the granules of sand. You, you brought back Batman. And you and I have had a lot of discussions about moving granules of sand. And in, in many ways, probably, I don't want to say getting berated. We don't get berated by people for doing that. But they just don't understand that we're moving granules of sand right now because that's what we can do. It's not understood by other people, but we understand that it is building something a lot bigger than anybody realizes. And that's leadership. Leadership sees that vision and the connection between those granules of sand. But the onlooker just sees granules of sand, right? They don't see, like right now, you could say, oh, well, he's just being kind of like a nanny, a nanny with a blaster, (laughs) It's basically Obi-Wan right now, right? I don't know. 
you're not even a Jedi. Will you just shut up? You know, I mean, he's going through a lot here <laughs> because she just she just won't. Right. So eventually he has to show her that he can use the force. So he is a, a Jedi nanny with a blaster also. And he has a lightsaber and he can start to reveal some of these things, I guess, because she just won't stop pushing him. Right. And all the meantime, Luke's over on his roof flying something. <laughs> Or at least he was till Uncle Owen shut that down. <laughs> now he's just really using his imagination, staring into the two sun sunset. But this is what Obi-Wan has to deal with, right, in the short term. And it's it's hard. He's really being minimized here, but he has to keep the longer game in play. I hope, I mean, I'm really interested to see what all else we get to understand from what he's done this period before episode four. So it's going to yeah, be. Yeah, it's, well, when we talk about moving the granules of sand, I mean, it's moving the sand pile is is huge, right? It's, we keep coming back to it. And, and as we've done this, I think what I've realized is, well, I, I've known this for a long time just from talking to a lot of star wars fans that obi-wan is uh perhaps outside of luke and maybe han people's favorite characters right he he always comes up as somebody's favorite character and right why he, he shows up well number one he's one of the most consistent characters throughout all of star wars he shows up in most of the media uh, even more so than, you know, Luke or Han or anybody like that. But I think it's really because of that moment. And Lucas was so good at creating these moments. And I have no idea. Nobody else is as good as he is at creating these moments of mystery. Right. Ben Kenobi, he's a Jedi. He's a samurai. He's like, what is this guy when you're watching A New Hope and you have no other context of Star Wars? And yet. He goes in and he authoritatively sacrifices himself, basically, like you don't usually see somebody authoritatively sacrifice themselves, but he does it because he is so clear on what the vision is and he's so clear on his role now. And he knows my role is to give up. <laughs> my role is to give in because I'm not the hero. I have to see Anakin and Luke end this. So th there's just no way the young Obi-Wan could have done that. He would have come in and fight. And so what we see in this series is that he's becoming the type of person, the type of leader who can sacrifice himself. Through sacrificing himself in little ways over and over and over, right? And sacrificing the usage of his power and the display. I'm sure when you're a young Jedi, you're all like, and watch this. Woo, right? And the onlookers are- Kumail just, Nanjani, the fake Jedi, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, thank you for, oh yeah, no, no problem. Thank you for your money. Yeah, it's it really is like that, right? Because that's what it looks like to be a Jedi with no wisdom. Not that he's a Jedi. We don't get the distinct feeling, obviously, that he's anything more than a con man. However, I think there are some parallels to being a young Jedi and having those powers and misusing them. And then eventually, once you've sacrificed yourself enough, you're like, honestly, I've done this enough times. I've seen all the cycles. I've seen how things play out. I know that this certainty of outcome is worth basically just holding my lightsaber up and right delaying this guy so that Luke can get away right because we know that the blast doors are going to shut and <laughs> he Darth Vader can't get to him and so that that all plays out really well I, I it, it makes sense to me I would I don't want to say finally I guess finally in a way that we get to see the, the transformative piece right and I the think reversal. those are, yeah it's the reversal so, yeah. of what happens on Mustafar right on yeah. Mustafar right. it's it's still the young Obi-Wan and he's you know it's over Anakin I have the higher ground and he leaves him to burn in the lava which is just a, you know you, he catches fire it's an excruciating way to assumedly die and then the opposite right when he meets him again 
and he meets him on equal footing and he recognizes that you know he was responsible for creating Darth Vader, not exclusively, but he was responsible. And the only way to fix it is to reverse it. <laughs> and so it's like the the little moment. It's the beginning of Darth Vader's wake up moment when Obi-Wan sacrifices himself. There's no way that Darth Vader turn in episode six turns the lightsaber on the Emperor if Obi-Wan doesn't sacrifice himself there. And you could argue it. And we could what if it. But I would argue there's no way he's able to do that. Well, and I think the thing that I'm holding myself back from is who sacrificed best. I, I think, I, <laughs> and you really can't, you can't, you can't compare the two. I was comparing them as you were talking, and I was thinking like, well, Anakin really did, like he did a lot of bad, and then he like did a whole lot of good there. But it's just really hard to do that. You really can't think about that. But you can think about how it was for that particular person, whether it's Anakin or Obi Wan, how that played out. And it really, you have to look at versus themselves, right? How much of a of a give was it? And I, I would argue that Obi-Wan's was very steady over his entire life, that his sacrifices and his compassion actions added up over his very entire life, and that Vader, Anakin, waited till the very end. And I still think that was still quite effective, right? And have the, he had conflict. We always tell, oh, there's conflict within you, Right. That's a very Star Wars thing to say, but he had the conflict for a very long time before he finally decided to do the thing, right? And so I think whatever your journey is, you just have to realize that you're going to have to take little hits of pain or you're going to have to take a lot of pain over a long period of time and it's going to build up on you. And eventually you can still act and do that right, compassionate thing. I don't really choose the second one, though. I think the second one's like you miss a lot of the influence. The second one's externally externally driven, whereas the the first one, the small doses of pain over time, it can be internally driven. Yeah. And I think Anakin, though, he did suffer over a long period of time, though. Right. I mean, he he lost Padme way back. That's buried. Right. And then he didn't even know he had kids till a certain point. And then that started to kick in. And I think that was the beginning of it. Right. And I know we can analyze this here all day long. But this conflict is something that goes along, I think, with compassion quite regularly, because with wisdom, you have to couple in wisdom. You have to decide when you're going to act compassionately. And we talked in the previous two episodes about the friendly gut punch. (laughs) There is a time and place to kind of right that friendly redirection to the person that you care about right to say i don't think you should do that or here's an opportunity for you or here's a situation that i know a dojo that is going to shape you and mold you and it's going to not be fun this is going to stretch you and grow you in ways that i don't even understand personally but i know that you need this there is a time and place for each one of those things and obi-wan definitely struggles with that he reveals himself a little bit with the force, but they let him do it in a quiet way that only Leia finds out, right? And I think that's really good how they played that, where they let him give a, a tiny little micro dose of compassion to save Leia's life so that she can come to the realization that he is a Jedi. But for some reason, this nanny guy with the blaster and the lightsaber is not being a Jedi out in the world. And I'm trying to figure that out. That's just frustrating oh. to a kid, right? It is. And and I'm starting to come to maybe some sort of a model here that we can use. It's not a fully fledged model, but I loved what you said about the little spurts of pain that we get, you know, every day, every week, every month and using those for a purpose. This is the way of being a magnanimous leader is 
we when that pain hits, you know, the pain of being in an argument with somebody that you love, right? The pain of somebody doing something that that thwarts your will, right? Maybe it was bad, maybe it was just unfortunate or something like that. Or maybe really maybe you're you know, you're the one who's taking offense and you shouldn't. But either way, it's these small spurts of pain that shape our character. And if that's the case, then really our our tactic to become like Obi-Wan, you know, what we envision as Obi-Wan, at least the type of person who can make the transformative change in somebody by by, you know, being willing to give up themselves, whatever that actually means in in your context. It's by using those little painful moments as fuel, because most people only use the big painful moments as fuel. That's absolutely the way that the the world usually works. And a lot of times it, it unfortunately doesn't fuel transformation in a positive way. It might fuel a negative transformation, right, with the loss of a parent, things like that. Those that fuels the you know transformation in a positive or negative way. But the magnanimous leader, yeah. sure, the magnanimous leader leverages those watershed moments. You got me thinking here as we're as we're kind of getting off the mountaintop that you don't want to let those big pain moments come in and change you because, as you said, it could go positive or negative. The effect could be uncontrolled. And you want self-control in those moments. And I've thought about that before as far as, I'll just say it like this very vaguely on purpose. I don't know how I'll react, so I better get ready, right? And I think that is where, I think imagination has some utility in the fact that if you have some controlled kind of thought, you know, I think you've said this to me before where you're like, I have different models and I play out different scenarios and then I see what that would be like. And I think that is the function of imagination within limits because if you let that uncontrolled that's called anxiety (laughs) so right where you're thinking not deterministically right you have to set some limits to what you're thinking about but i think yeah as you can play that out and you can say "Ooh, that's painful to think about for them i'm going to take an action now to try to help that not happen and you got to be careful with that because you're starting to think deterministically about somebody else and that's why empathy is so much a mainstay and you have to be in parity with where that person's at right now so that your determinations, and I would say don't stretch too far out with your determinations because you can make self-fulfilling prophecies too. So that's where these this is really tricky as a leader. But you've got to look at maybe small steps and, and have that vision. But the small steps are what I'm talking about as far as making determinations. This is where you may, you may say, hey, what can I change about this relationship or for this person a month from now, right? How can I improve them slightly in that direction? And what you will eventually achieve, I believe with all my heart, right, is that through compassion, we can tend someone towards an avalanche moment. And you've talked about this as far as subverting expectations back in Batman. And I think that's truly what it is, is as you continue to subvert the expectations in small ways in deterministic ways that you can you can't control it but you can tend someone towards that avalanche moment where they everything shifts for them am i wrong wow it's all coming together here it's still a little bit i have a little bit trouble seeing all of it in in view right trying to keep it all in the same screen if you will in my head but i think we're slowly getting there but I think the the glue piece that we picked up here in our journey with Obi-Wan 
is it's the sand pile moving the granules of sand is the small moments, right? That is the small moments. And so as a magnanimous leader, we have to leverage the small moments. Yes, we need the big moments. Of course, we need the big moments, but the big moments provide big risk. So we have to leverage the small moments. And in those small moments, that's where the wisdom comes in, right? It's when there's pain, there's an opportunity for change with humans in us and in other people. And so with that, we need to figure out, you know, which levers are we going to try to turn or which uh, which sticks are we going to try to grab to maneuver ourselves to be in a certain position, right? And so sometimes we want to pull the compassion lever, right? And we want to just get down next to somebody. And and what we need is to flip the script in that moment. Other times we need to pull the truth lever and we need to figure out how, how can I cut through to reality in this moment? How can I pull away the projections, just get them out of the way and just push towards what is true and, and away what is fake out of this moment, right? Other times we have to pull the curiosity lever. And again, these levers are not binary. It's not like they're on or they're off, right? That's why I was almost getting to a control stick metaphor. But you and, and sometimes it's some combination of multiple of them. But that's what it is to be magnanimous is to see the small moments for what they are and then to use these traits that we're building in these models that we have to navigate those small moments and to realize that each one is important. Yes, I love it. I think one thing that people would say, and people have said, actually, our friend Brian mentioned this, that trying to connect everything, trying to make one unified model. And I will say that all models are wrong. Some models are useful. So keep that in mind as you're listening to the Wonder Tour. But this is something that we are definitely trying to live out ourselves. This is this is the reason that we do this, really. And that if anybody could use an inkling of this, a portion of this, some percentage of this, that's amazing to us. That means that you see that too. So we'll leave it right there. Next time, we're going to be talking about Stranger Things. Because we need to do a little bit of that sometimes. It is the summer. It's the the atmosphere in that series. But it's just fun. It's exciting. And there are some really good, compassionate moments to round out our series here. That will be episodes 58 and 59 for us. So pretty cool. And in episode 59, we'll be talking about our next series. So stay tuned for that as well. And just remember, character is destiny. We'll see you next time.